Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Am I Saved? Whether we grew up in church our entire life or were a brand new believer, chances are we've asked ourselves this question before. Our prayer is that you gain a better understanding of the authenticity of your salvation by listening to today's message. Good morning. Man, I am glad to be back, man. I had a couple of weeks there where I took a couple of Sundays off, thankful for Billy and Joey for killing it the last couple of weeks. Um, If you're a guest here, we're glad you're here. If you've been coming for a while, we're glad you're back. And so, uh, um, man, it's excited about what God did this morning at nine. Also excited about uh, what he's going to do here in this service and really praying that God moves in our hearts and does some awesome, awesome, incredible things here today. Um, Also still pretty pumped up about 37 baptisms last Sunday. That was pretty amazing. So praise God for that. And uh, a lot of times people say it's not about the numbers. And, you know, I, I would very much disagree with that because I believe it is about the number because number 32 is just as important as number eight. and Number nine is just as important as number 15 because they all matter to God and they all have a name and they all have a soul and they're all going to spend eternity somewhere. So I believe that every number is important and numbers are important um, because they represent a person. Uh, that, that God loves. And if you're here today, I, I agree with Natalie when she prayed this morning that you're not here um, by chance. You're here by um, a, a divine plan that God wants you. And God has a plan for your life. And I pray today that our eyes will be opened a little more to see um, that plan, to see exactly what God desires for us. Um, we're going to continue this series, Am I Saved? We're actually finishing it up um, this week. This will be the last series. We're going into a series next week. I'm extremely excited about it. It's called Hook, Line, and Sinker. And uh, it's going to be about how we're called to go out and reach people, be fishers of men. We're go- called to go out and reach the lost. And so really fired up about that. Um, but we're going to finish this one up this week, um, talking about one of your favorite topics. Um, and if you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, we're going to read a few verses there. Then we're going to flip over to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 16. And the message today, as we look at Am I Saved, is going to be about repentance, right? Woohoo! Yeah, everybody's excited about that. And so, uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through f- uh, 4, we're going to read that. We're going to jump in. I'm excited. Before I go any further, I do have to say one thing, though. I have to say, she's embarrassed already. Happy birthday to my bride, Susan. If you know us, you know I married up, um, and so she's been, uh, literally other than Jesus, the best thing that's ever happened to me, um, keeps me strong, has been a source of strength and been by my side when a lot of people would have run away, and trust me, I mean that. And so she's been there and very, very thankful for her. So I was going to have her stand, I'm just kidding, honey, I'm just kidding. But oh, I was so badly wanted to make her stand up and then sing happy birthday to her. That have been pretty awesome, right? Right? But I value our marriage and I'd <laughs> like to, you know, have some romance in my life. And so not going to do that. Um, and so uh, going to let that go. But uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, um, looking at this, am I saved, this concept of repentance. And I'm praying that, that, that God opens our eyes to see who he is even more today um, and draws us near. Listen to these verses. Verses 1 through 4. In context, Paul's speaking about Jews. He's telling them, you're not better. We all need Jesus is basically what he's saying. Verse uh, 1 in chapter 2. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. 
For at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. So he's saying basically you're all sinners. He's going to bring that to a head in Romans 3.23 when he says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In in verse 2 it says, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? And the answer is no, we're all facing God's judgment apart from Christ. And so in verse 4, listen to this one. He says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Over in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 16, Paul writes to the Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And listen to this verse. So now, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we have today to open your word. Thank you that we can gather with other believers. And God, thank you for bringing people here who are just curious about who you are. And God, my prayer is that you would reveal yourself mightily to them today, that their eyes would be open to see you and to see who they are apart from you, but to see who they are in you. And God, for those of us who maybe we've been following for you, you, you for years, open up a revelation in our hearts to see you more clearly. Give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you more. And God, to simply be your children, to simply come to you as you say, come. May we hear that today. Hear how much you love us. Know that we are your sons and your daughters and walk out of here confident with a mission and a purpose to reach this world for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, one of the weeks that I was gone, um, or actually out of the pulpit, we were... um, uh, actually out in Colorado, Susan and I went out and we took a trip out to a place called the Blessing Ranch, which was, a, which was an incredible experience for us. It's a pastoral training, renewal, um, and, and basically an equipping place that this guy, he brings in a couple of families every week. He meets with you. He helps you. And, and so it was an awesome time, man. I mean, it, it got me back to so many things that, that even I as a pastor tend to, tend to kind of get moved away from just coming back to being a child of God, being his son, realizing that he's pleased with me, knowing I have a loving father. He loves me and, and really just this place of renewal in my own life. And so it was a great experience, a great time. It was amazing. The only problem is we had to get there and get back, right? And it's a long way to drive. And in my family, if you can drive it and it's reasonable, we drive it because we hate to fly. If you've been around much, you've probably heard me talk about flying. Um, I don't like it. Susan is absolutely terrified. The only way I know to give you somewhat of an understanding about how terrified Susan is of flying is I don't know if you've ever tried to put a cat in water. (laughs) And you're like, oh, who would be mean to a cat? Who wouldn't be mean to a cat, right? Amen. Dog lovers. Whoop, whoop. Right? I mean, you, you gotta hate cats, right? And, and I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not really, but anyway. So she's terrified of flying. So the night before we fly out, I mean, she's already getting nervous. We gotta fly from Savannah to Atlanta and Atlanta to Denver because evidently God didn't want people to go straight, going straight two places from Savannah. And so, we go, we gotta make these two flights. That means we gotta take off twice and land twice, hopefully. And so we, um, 
We get to uh, Savannah. We take off, smoothest takeoff I've ever, I think I've ever had. I mean, it was so smooth. And then we land, it was so smooth. It, it, it was just silky smooth. I mean, smooth, right? And we take off in Atlanta. We're on the way to Denver. Takeoff was smooth. So good. We get to Denver, little bumpy, because there's a lot of wind out there, a little bumpy. So I'm like, man, that was awesome. And, and knowing she hates to fly, and about two hours of the flight, she's over there asleep. And I don't mean dozing like, like you know how your head does that? I'm talking about mouth open, like drool coming down. I'm, I'm embarrassed, like trying to close her mouth, you know, and she is knocked out. And I'm like, man, God is in this. If she's sleeping on a plane, this flight smooth. It was awesome. And so we get there, we have a great time. And usually when I fly somewhere and I know I'm flying back throughout the week, I'm thinking, man, I don't want to get back on that plane. But this time the experience was so good. I was like, man, I want to do th- I like to fly. I have conquered my fear of flying and I like to fly. I got all kind of work done on the plane. It was peaceful. I mean, I was praying, I was journaling, I was writing, I was getting messages. God was speaking to me, I think because we were 30,000 feet, we're close, you know. And so he was speaking to me and it was awesome. And so I'm thinking, man, I can't wait to get, I enjoy flying. Praise God. I enjoy flying. And so we go back to the airport on Friday morning. Susan was still like, I don't want to do that. You know? And so we get on the plane, but I'm thinking we get in the air, but I'm, I'm on the iPad. I'm, 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 you know, studying, I'm reading, I'm excited about it. And we start to take off. And I don't know if you've ever had on your car where your brakes scrub on your car. Well, we're going down the runway and, and we're sitting on top of the landing gear evidently from the amount of vibration that my rear end was getting from my seat. And, and all of a sudden we start hearing this and it's like this scrubbing noise. And I'm like, the wheels are about to come off of this airplane. And so my heart starts beating a little quicker, you know, a little quicker, a little quicker. And then we start to take off. And as soon as we start to get in the air, it's like this. But every time I get in a plane that it starts getting bumpy, I think about Gilligan's Island where it says the tiny ship was tossed. And I'm like, I feel like I was on that boat. I mean, it was just rocking and doing all this. And then all of a sudden, I've never heard this on a plane before. Hope I never hear it again. I started hearing something that sounded like air coming into the airplane from outside. It was like, and I'm like, somebody forgot to shut the door. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. Susan's got my hand. She's got this hand and these four fingers are, are, are blue. There's no life in them anymore. She's choking them out. And she looks at me and she's like, are you scared? It's like, no, I ain't scared. What? And then she's like, are you going to get on the ground and then tell me you were scared? And I was like, no, my heart's coming out of my chest. And then they start to let up the landing gear and it's like, and it sounds like it gets stuck. I mean, it's like, and I'm like, we're going to die. I felt like Stephen in Acts chapter 7. I was like, unto your hands, I commit my spirit, Lord. I, mean, I thought it looked like the thing was twisting. I thought we're, we're all dead. And so um, we're, we're, we finally get up and the whole flight was bumpy. The whole flight, it was just, we, we think we were out of it. And then all of a sudden they'd be like, you know, and I'm like, oh, here we go again. And, and, and I was just so wanting to get on the ground in Atlanta. In fact, if at takeoff, I could have just like put it in reverse and backed it up, you know, I would have just landed it again, got a rental car and drove the distance back to Statesboro. Because here's what happened. When things started getting shaken a little bit, when things didn't go real smooth and and, and it like shook me, I realized this, I don't like to fly as much as I thought I did. And I realized that my mind changed in a moment, in an instant, my mind changed and my heart about flying changed and I wanted to go 
back, right? I wanted to turn around. I want to go a different direction. The thing I want you to see in that and through that, that whole story is this, that when we come to a place with God, when we come to this place of repentance, the thing that begins to happen is, is that in a moment, our mind changes about God, about life, about everything. And just like when we were in the air, I would have turned around to go back because I thought on the ground's better than in the air. Just like that happened in my mind, when we come to repentance and a revelation of who Jesus is and we recognize who he is, there's something in us that says, I don't want to go this way anymore. I believe it's better to go the other way. And so we come to this place of recognizing and even the biblical literal definition of repentance means to change your mind. It means that there's a change of mind that's taking place. But let me ask you this question. How many of you, when you sat down and I came out and I said, we're going to talk about repentance today. How many of you went, I love that topic. Repentance is awesome. And every time I hear a preacher talk about repenting, I walk out so encouraged and so lifted up. And I feel like just living life to the fullest because I'm such a good person. Nobody, right? And our experience with repentance, I believe, in a lot of ways has taught us some things that maybe just aren't true about repentance. Even a lot of messages I think we've heard maybe aren't exactly true about repentance. Repentance means that we change our mind. A lot of times I think even our experience in church has taught us that repentance is negative, man. It's a bad thing. It's like Turn or burn. In fact, I want you to watch a video. We put together a little video for you. I want you to watch this video and see if maybe it resonates with you about this term repentance and maybe how you hear it. Check this out. It's pretty funny. There's sort of. You got no soul. You got no spirit. You're just all fleshed out. God said you got to repent. It's got to go. One day, the Bible said to be waiting It is a real place, my friend. It's somewhere that you're headed. If you're a Christ-rejecting, godless, hell-bound sinner, I want you to understand, it's not my doctrine. I didn't create the place. It's what the Bible says. Whether I'm here, whether I'm gone, has nothing to do with the fact there is a hell. And it's where you do not want to go. One day your calamity will come. What's it going to be, sinner? Sinner! Don't continue in your sin! Don't go to hell. I plead with you, sinner. Turn. Turn from your sin. Turn from your pride. Turn from your arrogance. Turn from your self-will. Turn from your from your sex out of marriage. Turn from your smoking marijuana. Turn from your pornography. Turn from your lying. Sinner. Sinner, I plead with you. There's hell to pay. Hey, I'm all about some running in church, right? Um, what you didn't see is at the end of that video, one of those guys literally jumps into the baptismal with water in it. He flips over the back and he comes up. And, and here's the thing, we're not making fun of, of these guys, we're not, but, but that's, 
typically a lot of the message we hear in relation to repentance. How many of you would say that's been a little bit of your experience with repentance? It's always been the turn or burn. It's always been, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. And here's the thing. There's some truth in every bit of that. There's some truth in it that if we don't come to a place of repentance and we don't turn to Jesus, then we're separated from God for eternity in a place called hell. It's like the dude with the gray suit on and the white hair that was kind of like holding on to the podium. That dude was bringing it, wasn't he? I wish I could get that little bit of like, I don't know if it's a dry heave or what in my voice, but it was awesome. And he's preaching and he's bringing it. And yet we only have a short portion of that message. But what we hear in there is just this hellfire and brimstone thing of, of turn, turn, turn. And so there's no wonder that we hear repentance and we begin to think of it as a negative thing that God's out to get me, that God is trying to kill me. And yet when we look at scripture, we see that it's actually the exact opposite. In fact, Romans two, four says this, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? I mean, have you ever put kindness and repentance together or tolerance, tolerance and repentance together? How many of you have ever put patience, God's patience and repentance together? How many of you have ever thought I need to repent because God's drawing me to himself through his loving kindness? But the Bible paints this different picture. It tells us that when Jesus comes, he bids us to come. He bids us to repent, not out of some some hellfire, you, you suck kind of message, but a message that says, come to me. Why would you not come to me? I'm the God of the universe who loves you dearly, who wants to be a part of your life. And he begins to draw us to him. It's not a, it's not one of these things where I'm trying to erase hell. Hell is very real. But thank God that he is a loving father who calls his children to himself. Thank God that, listen, he is patient and he's given us opportunity to turn from our old life and turn back to him. That's the good news, man. That's good stuff that God gives us a chance to come to him. Because here's the thing. You've heard me say this before, but if I were God, I'd have just killed everybody. I'd have been like, I'm God. It took me seven days to make it. I can make a new one, right? Or six days. And then I took a vacation. I got rested. And so here's the thing. God's goodness is seen in repentance. I want you to understand a few truths about repentance this morning, about what it's not. The first is it's not just a part of a hellfire and brimstone message. It's part of the good news. When John the Baptist came preaching the good news, he came preaching uh, this, this repentance that would lead to fruit in our lives. When Jesus came preaching, the message he was preaching was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we see that the good news of Jesus is that he comes to save, that through his loving kindness, he draws us to himself and that we leave our old life behind and we come to a place of living a new life in Christ. So it's not just a part of a hellfire and brimstone message. It's a good thing that comes from God's goodness. It's an opportunity to come to him. God didn't have to give us opportunity. God's, his, his wholeness, his completeness, it wasn't hinging on us coming to it. But he said, I want you to come. I want to give you opportunity. I'm patient in your stubbornness and in your stubborn hearts. It's not seeking to relieve a guilty feeling. See, here's the thing that a lot of us believe is, is that repentance, this thing is just a, I feel guilty about that. I, I slept with him or I slept with her or I smoked that or I drank that or I said this. I, I, I shot the lady a bird in the Walmart parking lot. I, I did this. I, I, I cussed out my wife. I did that. And so, you know, the other day I'm, I'm pulling down ZRR and I get stopped at a traffic light. I end up um, getting bumper to bumper traffic right there. It's traffic jamming Statesboro. 
And so I end up blocking somebody in, this, this lady on, a, I'll call her lady loosely, um, I blocked her in um, on a side road and, and she's wanting to get out and, and her and her, like many of me sitting next to her are giving me the business. I mean, they're yelling at me, they're hollering at me, they're doing all this, and, you know, and I'm like, oh no, you don't. Pastor or no pastor. And before it just came out, it was horrifying. It was like an exorcist kind of moment. It was like, don't you talk to me like that. You know, I'm hollering back at him and I'm like, who's around here? If somebody from church saw me, I am in big trouble, right? And, and so, you know, it's, it's not just get feeling guilty for something we've done and then going, well, I need to soothe my conscience. I need to feel better about myself. It's not just to relieve a guilty feeling. It's not motivated from getting caught. It's motivated out of a desire to have a right relationship with God, to have a relationship with God. Because the reality of it is we can't pursue sin and pursue Jesus at the same time. So anytime we choose sin, we're choosing sin over Jesus. It is a spiritual impossibility to pursue our old life and pursue the new life of Christ at the same time. And so it's motivated by this desire. I want to abide in and be in relationship with Jesus. So we leave this behind and we come after this, but not just to get rid of bad things or to try to do good things, but because of the one who now has my affections. So I begin to pursue him. I begin to go after him. If the only time that you repent is when you get caught, you haven't come to repentance. You just got caught with your hand in the cookie jar and you're trying to make it better. And that tags on to the next one that repentance is not an apology. So many times we try to repair burned bridges with the damaged wood. We try to put it all back together and say a few words. I I literally had this conversation in my office one time. This guy comes in and he sits down and he's like, I don't understand what's wrong with my marriage. I said, well, tell me about it. He's like, well, all week long, I've been getting up, making a pot of coffee, leaving sticky notes about how much I love my wife, how awesome she is and all this. And she's still cold. And I said, well, let me ask you this. How long were you a jerk? He said, a long time. And I said, you think a week of coffee is going to make that better? And so many times what we see is, man, we've burned so many bridges that our words, man, they they become empty. They have no substance. It's like trying to repair a burned bridge with the damaged wood. The substance hasn't changed. It's still messed up. But repentance, we come to a place where our actions begin to speak for us. Apologies are good and they're needed and we should ask for forgiveness from people and from God. But if we're truly repentant, it means that we begin to move in a different direction. So those are a few things that repentance is. Now I want to talk to you about what repentance is. And the first one, I told you it's a change of mind, but specifically in scripture, repentance is a change of mind about Jesus. It's a change of mind about Jesus, about who he is, about who he should be in your life, about him being Lord. We sang a song early, earlier, Cornerstone, that he's Lord of all. I'd ask you that question. Many of us sang it. Many of us raised our hands. I would ask you the question, though, is he really Lord of all? Have we come to a place of recognizing him as Savior? Have we come to a place where our mind has changed to such a degree that we begin to realize the life he offers is the best life so that I'm no longer following him out of obligation and out of guilt and out of trying to be good enough to please him, but I'm following him because he loves me and because he gave his life for me and because there's nowhere else I'd rather be than in him. There's a difference. Repentance comes when we change our mind we begin to live a different life. One of my favorite scriptures about 
repentance and, and that I see so clearly is out of Luke chapter 15. If you're familiar with Luke 15, it talks about three things that were lost. It talks about a sheep that was lost. It talks about a coin that was lost. And it talks about a son that was lost. And it talks about how God rejoices in finding the lost. That's why we should be always doing whatever we've got to do to reach the lost. We should be preaching the gospel, the way we live our lives, the things we share with other people, the way we, we preach at church and sing and worship at church and serve at church is all to reach the lost, to draw the lost in. And he gets to the last part of chapter 15 and he tells this story about this lost son. And, and, and basically the younger son comes and he asks his father for his inheritance, basically saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Go ahead and give me the money as if you were dead. Cause I'm out of here. The father gives him the money. He goes off to a foreign land. He squanders it. It says on wild living prostitutes and he goes and he, he's out of money. He realizes I'm in trouble. I need to do something. And, and, and this is how bad it got. This is a Jewish boy who couldn't even touch a pig. But the Bible tells us that he had gotten so low that he ends up working with the pigs, not just touching them, but desiring to eat the pods that they fed on. How many of you would agree that that's a pretty low place for a Jewish boy to be? All right. Like he's low. He, he is at bottom. And listen to what it says in verse 17 of chapter 15. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I love what it says. I love the way it says it because it says when he came to his senses, what happened? Something happened in his mind. There was a change of mind where he thought, this is stupid. I can go back and be one of my father's hired hands. And be better off than I am here. Why wouldn't I return to my father? And he goes back thinking he's just going to serve as a servant. Just wanting to be treated like a servant. And the awesome thing about it is his father sees him from a long way off. He runs out to meet him. Embraces him. Kisses him. Puts a ring on his finger. He begins to, he puts shoes on his feet. He gives him a robe. He's basically reinstating him into his sonship. The place that he had left. As much as he had turned his back on his father. And it gives us a picture of God. And it gives us a picture of what happens when our minds begin to change. And we see Jesus for who he is. And we see a loving father who sent his son to die for us that we could be reunited with him. I don't know about you. It gets me fired up to think that that is the God I get to serve and spend time with every day. That is awesome. And so we see in this man that, that God brings us his place of a change of mind where we, we don't just run from the bad things, man. We run to the good one. The one who is good, the one who loves us more than we could possibly imagine. The first point in that, again, is it's a change of mind about Jesus, about who he is. The second thing is repentance leads to a change. Repentance leads to a change of direction. As our minds change, we begin to realize, man, what am I doing? This isn't living. I mean, I thought I was living. I thought I was living pre-Christ. I thought it was making me feel good. I thought I liked who I was and I was dying on the inside. But when I realized who he was and I realized who I am apart from him and then I realized who I could be in him, forgiven, made right with a loving father and loved and a child and a son, I was like, that's stupid. I want this. I began to go a different direction. Not out of guilt and not out of, man, I don't want to do bad things. I want to do good things. Not out of, I want people to think I'm a good person. Out of, I need Jesus. I see who he is. I want him. I want a relationship with him. In fact, I'll tell you, Christianity is not a religion about doing good or not doing bad. 
It's about a relationship with a God who is good. That's what Christianity is. There are a lot of religions. There's only one way to relationship with God. That's through Jesus. So many of us, we get stuck in the same place where we never seem to be able to get out. We, we, we feel like we climb out of a pit and then we kind of fall back in. We try to climb out of a pit and we, we end up falling back in. And I think for a large part of it and a large portion of us that the reason for that is that we're so focused on what we're turning from that we lose sight of who we're turning to. And I would tell you this, that when we have that change of direction, we begin to turn from sin and turn to God. We begin to turn from, from our old life and turn to true life in Jesus. And there's something that, that happens in us. We begin to realize, like, that was foolishness. That was foolishness. And yet for so many of us, for so many times, we forget who we're turning to. And I would tell you this, that who you're turning to is more important than what you're turning from. Listen, all sin leads to death. It's just sin. It's sin. Whether you smoked crack or you've slept with a hundred women or, or you've, you know, you shot up last night or, or whatever. Listen, it's all sin. It's all sin. And we turn to the one who gives life. Who you're turning to is more important than what you're turning from, man. He's the life giver. He is the life giver. So repentance is then a change of mind about who Jesus is. Repentance is a change of direction. And the third one, This change of direction affects everything in our lives. It affects everything in our lives. Listen, when we come to salvation, we come to a place of repentance. Our mind, we see clearly who who Jesus is. We come to a place of justification. We talked about that earlier in this series where God sees us as righteous. He gives us the righteousness of Christ, not of our own, but just because we put our faith and trust in him. We, by faith, grab hold of the righteousness of Jesus. He clothes us with himself. Um, We begin to be, we are filled with the spirit at the moment of salvation. And he begins to work out that process of sanctification where he makes us more like him. But regardless of all these theological terms and all these things that happen, when we come to repentance and we see who Jesus is, it changes the direction of our lives. And that begins to affect every area of our lives. It even begins to affect how we relate to other people. If you've known me very long, you know that um, back in the day, man, BC, before Christ, I had a bad temper, right? Bad temper. I mean, like bad temper, like somebody made me mad, I'd chase them through a parking lot, right? Like blackout, chasing. One day, um, somebody at like they were gonna hit Susan and I on the beach at St. Augustine in a car, and, and so I, I very intelligently chased the car about a mile down the beach on foot. And they, they'd speed up and slow down, speed up and slow down. If you would have timed it, I think I would have set a world record in how fast I ran because I was literally out of my mind, angry, wanting to get them. And they kept slowing down, speeding up, slowing down. And I'm like, y'all gonna mess up in a minute, and I'm gonna get a hold of that car. You know what I'm saying? And so. It was like, you know, just, just horrible temper. But when I met Christ, listen, I still got a temper. There's still times, like when I yelled at the lady at the stop sign. But God began to, to bring that under his control. He began to change my mind. He began to change my heart. Um, that, that began to subside. And Jesus is still working on me. But it began to change. It began to affect how I relate to people. How many of you would say you could stand to relate to people a little bit better? Right? Yeah, maybe your wife, like if anybody ever says they don't have problem in, problems in their marriage, there's nothing they need to work on, then they're liars and you don't need to trust them, right? Because it's just the, the reality. We all could relate to people better. We, we could, um, you know, and God began to change my heart to where now, like if we're at the ball field and I yell at an umpire, I start feeling bad. I'm like, okay, guys, we can't yell at him. We had this one guy who was umpire. I swear he had to be like a mall Santa. 
right? Because he was so jolly. Like he was the happiest guy. He's just out there wiping off the baseball, smiling, making bad call after bad call. And I'm just like, I cannot yell at this guy. He's too nice. And they're like, go get him. I'm like, I, look at him. I can't yell at that. You know, before I would have been like, you're terrible. It wouldn't even have been about the call. I'm like, your kids don't even like you. You're horrible. You know what I mean? And so it would have been personal. And, and, and but God does something in our heart. It begins to affect every area of our life. It begins to spread throughout our life. But I want to show you a little illustration. And I hope it will help you understand why for so many of us, it seems like um, things just don't work. Anybody, you just get in that place sometimes where, where things just don't seem to work. And, and maybe why our relationship with God sometimes grows cold. And, and maybe why we feel like sometimes we haven't heard God speak to our hearts in a long time, maybe if ever. Um, and, and I want to show you this because this is how I think most of us live our lives until that time where God again changes our mind or begins to renew our mind to see him for who he is. And so we got this handy. That's some solid wood right there. Ain't no particle board in that. And so I got this thing. And this is how we typically will live our lives. We come to this, it's like a chest of drawers, right? And we've got all these different drawers and we've got all these different compartments. And what we do is we take our life and we begin to put different things in different drawers and we begin to see it as our lives are compartmentalized. And so there's different things that go in these drawers. For instance, drawer number two, if we were to number one, two, three, four, five, six, we got drawer number two here. I kind of feel like, um, let's make a deal, right? Um, would you rather have drawer number two or drawer number three? But, but we got drawer number two. And so some of the things that we would put in these drawers is maybe like golf, right? A recreation. How many of you like golf? It's okay. It's not a sin to play golf. I'm not saying that. It's not what I'm, that's not what I'm after. Like golf, or it could be a baseball bat, or it could be a baseball glove, or, or it could be, um, you may like to play guitar, or you may like to go to movie. I don't know. Whatever you do recreationally, we have our recreation drawer, and we put that stuff in there. We close it up, and that's that part of our life. Then we come to other things, um, like our vocation, right? Like our vocation. You know, used to work in construction, a little hammer, you know? It might, be a, it might be a calculator for you. It might be a classroom, whatever this would be, your vocation. And so we have our work life and we put it over here and it becomes something separate from the, the other parts of our lives. And it seldom ever touches these parts. The only way this touches this is when we can't do enough of this because of this, right? And we all wish we had to do less of this to do this. I'm, y'all are confused. Okay. And so we got that. And so we see we've got these different sections of our lives. And then we come to another place where we get to and, and we, we've got like the future and time and what's going to happen in the future. And so we're thinking about that. We begin to compartmentalize that. We've got our calendar. We've got our schedule. We've got all these things that we're supposed to do. And we've, we've, we've got our own little section. That one's already full. We've got our own little section for this. And so we stick it in there and we put that in there. And then other times we think about this and we deal with it and we, we've got it there. And so then we come to some of the biggies man right woman man right she likes the rugged construction type bother builder and so you've got the relationships and so we take our relationships and they become a part of our lives they become a part of who we are and for some of us this is marriage and for some of this this well her head shakes like Susan's when she's getting after That's funny. And so um, I didn't even notice that in the first service, but it's pretty funny. And so you've got this and you've got this relationship. Some of us, it's marriage and and our marriage needs work. And and we fight in our marriage instead of fighting for our marriage. And and they're just going at it all the time. And so you've got these two 
people and, and, and they're stressed and they're busy and they're trying to make life work and it just seems to all be falling apart. And so you take them, I don't even know what drawer I'm on. And so we put them in a drawer. And then here's the crazy thing that happens. Some of us are having struggles in our marriage and so we're young and we're, we're having problems and we think, I know what'll fix it. We're stressed, we're tired, we're busy. I know what'll make that better. Let's have a kid. How'd that work out, right? It just makes you more stressed. It just puts more on you. And, and, and then you've got the, the child and you're like, I don't even know what to do with this. And it comes out like an alien. You're like, I don't even know. It's like ET phone. I don't know what to do with this child. And so it puts more stress. And so you've got that area of your life and you just kind of block that off and deal with it when you get home and, and deal with it when you wake up and, and you've got that area of your life. And then here, here comes the big one. Oh yeah. Oh, everybody's like, <gasps> Right? Because we don't talk about this. Yet Jesus talked about it more than anything else. And I know people get mad when I talk about money and my heart's not, whatever. It would be, I heard it said this way the other day. It would be spiritual malpractice for me not to talk to you about the dangers of money. And the reality of it is we take this and we put this in a drawer and then we stick it in there and we lock it up and we're like, do not touch the money drawer. Right? Stay away from the money drawer. And we've got all these compartments and then we've got our trophies. We actually won this two weeks ago. Pretty awesome, huh? Yeah, our little 10 and under team. Yeah, we were second out of four teams. It wasn't that great. But we got a big trophy for it. And so we take um, our trophies and we don't even put them in a drawer. We take things like our performance and we take things like our position at work and we th- take things like our major in school and we take things like the guy I'm married to or the guy I'm dating or the girl that I'm married to or the girl that I'm dating and we put them up there to try to make people think we're something when typically we aren't what we portray ourselves to be and so we put those up there and we let people see our trophies and we've got all this stuff and here's the thing that I would tell you. Most people that walked in here today, you would tell me that this drawer right here is reserved for who? Number one, God, right? And then we would say, well, who belongs in the first drawer? Who belongs in the top drawer? And I would tell you that the majority of our problems, most of the things, the issues we deal with come from this mindset that Jesus has the first drawer. That was the Bible. That Jesus has the first drawer, that he is the top drawer Jesus, right? That he comes first. And I would tell you that a large portion of our problems and our struggles come from the fact that Jesus is in the first drawer. In fact, I would tell you that Jesus should not be your number one priority. Now, before you walk out of here and tell me that I'm a heretic, let me explain. Because here's the way we live our lives. We've got all this stuff in all these drawers. But what does this drawer ever touch that's in these other drawers? absolutely nothing. And so we come to this place where we see Jesus as the one who belongs in the top spot, the one who belongs as the top priority. He's the top shelf Jesus. I'll pull him out when I need to. Whenever my finances are bad, man, I got, I'll, 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 I'll let him touch that drawer. Whenever work's bad, I'll let him touch that drawer. Whenever I think it's finally over with my wife or over with my husband, I'll touch that drawer. But the problem is that we've got Jesus in the top spot. We've got Jesus in the number one drawer when he should be the chest. The Bible tells us in Colossians 1.17 that, that all things were created 
through him and for him and that all things hold together in him. Listen, if he's in this spot, he's not holding anything together. He's the chest, not a drawer. He's the one that encompasses it all. He is the life and he touches every part of our life. And many of us are struggling with different things because I can tell you this, your area of burden and your area of of struggle is typically because you're not letting Jesus touch it. We're not trusting Jesus with it. And here's the thing I didn't say. I don't want you to hear this, that if you ever try to come and take a drawer that you're not saved, because we all do at times, don't we? Right now, my dad's in the hospital in Savannah, in Candler Hospital. His, his kidneys are functioning between 20 and 25%. They're not real sure what's causing it. You think maybe I'm wanting to take that drawer and, and hold it myself and try to cling to it and just worry about it? And nothing wrong with that. Listen, I'm, I'm praying like crazy for him. But the reality of it is I have to bring that drawer back and put it where it belongs in Jesus's hands. And here's what happens at repentance. Here's what happens at the change of mind is that I realize That's the best place for my dad to be is trusted in Christ. Trusted in his hands, in his faithfulness, in his power, in his sovereignty, trusting in him. But I believe that so many people, and we've been taught this, Jesus is our number one priority. He's not a priority. He's life. He's everything. There is no life apart from him. He touches everything. That's one thing about this chest. It touches every drawer. He becomes Lord of all or he's Lord of none. He is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He holds everything in between. That's Jesus. That's repentance. When we come to that place of recognizing this is the best place to be. So we don't follow him out of guilt and we don't follow him out of just this fear he's going to kill me, but out of reverential fear and out of this place where we recognize who he is and what he's done for us. So we begin to follow him and live for him. And he begins to touch and change. Can you imagine if, 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 if Jesus began to touch all the areas of our life, begin to transform them? How about our marriages? Can you think about how our marriages would be transformed? Husbands, listen, if we begin to see ourselves as Jesus sees us fully clothed in his righteousness, that we're okay, not because somebody told you you're okay, but because Jesus says you're okay and his truth, big T, trumps little T truth. And that you can live that way. And when you begin to see yourself that way, you will begin to walk that way. But as long as you see yourself, as you see, you'll never come out of it. We have to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. How about if we begin to see Jesus for who he is and our minds are changed and we begin to see our wives as Jesus sees them. Not, not just as some person that, listen, the old ball and chain, the old lady, no wonder you don't have sex. Old lady, come on in here, give me some loving. I mean, that ain't gonna work. It ain't gonna work. What if you begin to see her as, as God sees her? Listen, she's a daughter of the king. She's a daughter of the king. What does that make her? A princess. What if you treated her that way? Even when she's ugly, even when she's got the head shaking. You treat, you know, you're right. I'm not telling you perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect at it. But you know what I did this morning? It's Susan's birthday. And, uh, 
And I was like, she always decorates the rooms for the kids. Like, I don't even know how she does it. It's like magic. You go in there and they go to bed, walk in there the next morning, there's balloons, there's, there's streamers, there's everything all over the place, signs. And so I was like, she always does that for everybody else. I want to do that for her. And so I went this morning, I got up a little extra early and I went and got some construction paper and I wrote happy birthday as neatly as I could on two different pieces. I glued them, or not glued, not glued. It's taped, <laughs> it's taped to the mirror. And, and then I took three more pieces and I wrote I and I wrote a big heart on it and I wrote love, you know, love, that means love. And then you with two exclamation points. And I'm going to tell you, I felt real feminine doing that. I just, it straight up did. I was like, this is not me. This is not my personality. But you know what? It's okay to not be you sometimes. It's okay to bend a little bit, to bend towards your wife. It's okay to, to love them a little bit. This outside your comfort zone. Lord knows how much she's loved me outside her comfort zone. And so I did this and, and I was like, man, this better. I put some streamers hanging over the lights and stuff like that. It was awesome. And, and I'm like, this better get me some brownie points. Y'all thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? And <laughs> And I was like, this, this better be good. She better love it. And so, so I was waiting on her to call me this morning. She's like, thank you. So I was like, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm pretty cool like that. And so, but it was cool. And yet just seeing her the way God sees her, that she deserves, she deserves to be loved. She deserves to be loved. And listen, grace is the, the statement of God that he loves us even when we're not lovable. If we truly loved our wife as Christ, hey, ladies, how about this? What if you started loving him as if he is what you desire him to be? What if you started loving more importantly, like he is what God desires him to be? Too many wives try to nag their husband to heaven when they're really nagging him to hell. The Bible says that women should love their husbands. And listen, I know some of y'all are in a position that if there's abuse, if there's something going on, you need to jet, right? But if it's just fighting in your marriage, just spatting and all this stuff, and fight for your marriage. Don't just fight in it. Love each other as Christ loved. What if it changed the way we parent? What if we quit pushing our children into this same performance trap that many of us have been struggling with for all of our lives? One of the things we love around my house is baseball. My two-year-old, can we go ballpark, daddy? Can we go ballpark? Loves the ballpark. We love baseball. We love it. But one thing I tell my oldest son all the time, listen, Dave, you got to understand, I love you whether you strike out or hit a home run. I like it when you hit a home run. But I love you no matter what. You don't, you don't have to perform for me to love you. And so we have to see that, man, God, let's love them the way God loves them. Let them know, like, you need to do this and you need to do that and it's good, but I'm going to love you. You don't have to earn my love. And I promise you this, if we'll just love them and they know they're secure in that love, they'll change their life. They'll change who they are. They'll begin to see the love of Christ in us. How about teenagers? We've got a bunch of teenagers in here. How about our youth? What if they saw themselves as competent in Christ so they didn't think they had to compete with other people to be okay? What if they realized that they didn't have to have sex to be a man? What if they realized that being a man is loving Jesus and having uh, enough guts to stand up for what's right? They begin to see themselves as whole in Christ because God changed their minds. What if people who struggle with addiction realize that the answer to their pain is in Christ. It's not an appeal. It's not in a shot. It's not in anything other than Jesus. And that their past doesn't define them. What if we begin to realize, guys, girls, what if we begin to realize that, um, guys, your masculinity is not defined by how many girls you sleep with. 
What if you began to realize that your masculinity is not defined by if you treat a girl like a KFC bucket? That she's just breasts, thighs, and legs. Because a lot of you, it's how you see women, and that attitude sucks. It's not of God. And it's wrong. And girls, I hope you can see yourself as more than that. I hope that the girls can see themselves as a daughter of the king. And guys, I hope you would treat them that way. But what if our mind changed, that we begin to see the truth and not buy into this lie that the world tries to tell us? Girls, what if you realize your security is in Christ? It's not in whether or not you date a guy all the time. And God began to reveal himself to you. And you realize the greatest love and the greatest lover you ever will have is Jesus himself. How much would it change our life if we didn't have to put our trophies up for everybody to see them? And we were just okay. We were just all right. Not because of what anybody else says, but because God says. And he defines who we are. And we begin to live for him. It touches and changes every aspect of our lives. The last thing I want to tell you today, the fourth one. So we've looked at how it's a change of mind about who Jesus is. We've looked at how it changes our direction. And we've looked at how repentance changes and touches every area of our life. And God, Jesus, he begins to do work in us. The last one is repentance happens in a moment, but it continues for the rest of our lives. It just continues forever. Wouldn't it be awesome if the Christian experience was I came to a place of recognizing who Jesus is. My mind was open. I realized who he is. I, I got a revelation of who he is and I was perfect. It'd be awesome. I was talking to a friend of mine at the gym the other day and he, was, he just got saved. He just gave his life to Christ. And he was like, man, sometimes it's just easier to be bad. And I was like, you doggone Skippy, you know? And, but the reality of it is the best life is in Christ, but our mind is being renewed. The Bible says that he gives us a new heart at the moment of salvation. But the Bible says in Romans 12, 2, that our mind has to be renewed. It says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That it's a continual process. Our lives are constantly being renewed as we surrender them to Christ. As we come to that place where we realize I took a drawer out. You know what? I'm trying to hold on to this. And that for the believer, we recognize it. And Jesus isn't there condemning and pointing. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but we realize that Jesus is still tolerant. He's patient. He's still pursuing and he's just saying, come, come, come to me, come to me and I'll show you, I'll prove myself to you. I'll hold you when everybody else has left you. I'll be your strength when everybody else is weak. I'll be your rock when everything else erodes away. I will be there for you. I'll prove myself to you. And he just says, come. What an awesome, awesome God that just says, come. We renew our minds when we get into this. And here's the thing I hear most people say is I just don't understand it. I've been opening the gospel of Mark with my six-year-old and my 10-year-old and just reading it from the NIV translation. You know what? They get it. I think usually that's an excuse. There's some things we don't understand. But just remember this. When you get to something that seems confusing or you, something you don't understand, everything ultimately runs through the cross. When you get to, 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 to Leviticus and they're killing goats and sheep and shedding blood and all this stuff, just remember it's all pointing to the cross. Run it all through the cross. It'll bring so much clarity 
But get in the word because it's in the word you find out who God is. You find out his love for you. It's in the word you find out who you were apart from him. And you see how separated and and, and utterly miserable life was. And then you come to a place where you see who you are in him. No longer a sinner, as we saw in the videos. But God calls us a saint that he calls into fellowship with him. Not of our own righteousness, but of his. And if we begin to believe we are who God's made us to be, we'll begin to live like that person. We renew our minds and here is a constant renewing, constant renewing. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that his word is living and active. It's not an ordinary book. Listen, when we interact with the Bible, the Bible interacts with us. It'll speak to our hearts. I would challenge you to begin to open your Bible and say, God, just speak to my heart. And then read it, not as some historical book, but as a letter that was written to you. And you'll begin to see who you are. You'll begin to see what God's done and who he is. Our minds are renewed. And we realize, oh my gosh, I've been toting that drawer around. I've been toting it. I need to put it back. And we take Jesus out of the top shelf and, and the top drawer. And he becomes the chest. He becomes the one that holds it all together. And we begin to trust him. He begins to affect every area of our life. And even when it's uncomfortable, we trust him. Why? Because his word is true. This is the big T. This is the truth. There's a lot of experience that goes on around us. But listen, our theology isn't formed by our experience. Our experience begins to be formed by theology, by the truth of God's word. And we run it through this. And if it doesn't line up with this, then it is a lie prayer today is that for many of you you see that Jesus is Lord of all isn't he's Lord whether you call him that or not but today I pray that your mind is changed about Jesus and you come to a place that you allow him to be Lord of all for some of you you've been toting all these drawers around and you've been carrying them and, and listen you've come to a place where you know the Lord but it's time that you repent that your mind is changed and it brings you back to him And some of you are so burdened and weighted down. And you know why? You're carrying a bunch of drawers. And Jesus says, I can carry those for you. If you'll let me. The question to you today is whether you are saved. Meaning made right with God. Spending eternity with him in relationship. Or whether you're in a place that. You know, I've never. I've never known him. My prayer is today that your mind would be open, your mind would be renewed to see who Jesus is, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, every Sunday we come in here, I believe God is going to do something supernatural because he is a supernatural God that changes hearts and renews minds. And my prayer is today that through his spirit and the power of his word, that he would open some people's minds in here today, that they would have a change of mind, that they would see clearly, that he would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, as it says in Ephesians 1, 17, we begin to see who he is. We no longer try to compartmentalize him, but he would become Lord of all. But I want to ask you today this question. You are in a place, man. Listen, you know he's never been Lord of all. He's never, he is, you have never come to a place of repentance where you said, I want Jesus to be Lord of all. And I would say you don't know him. Some of you have been trying to do a lot of really good things, but the reality of it is it's not about good things. It's about a relationship with God. And you know, you don't have that. But today you can. 
And so the first people I want to talk to is the people who don't know him, who are separated from him. But you know, I do not have a relationship with God, but today God spoke to my heart. I see who Jesus is. And I want to stand up. I want to declare that today I'm accepting the invitation that Jesus has given me. In fact, if that's you today with everybody looking around, and I hope you'll be bold to do this. Man, I know it's intimidating. I know this is scary. But I know God's spoken to somebody's heart. And we want to love you. We want to rejoice with you. We want to help you take next steps of faith following him. So today, if you don't know him, can we rejoice with you as you stand up right now? Stand up right now and say, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. Would you stand up and let us celebrate that with you? You don't have a relationship with him? I promise it's okay. I promise this. If you stand up and you finally be bold to do what you know God's leading you to do, somebody else probably will too. Would you be so bold? Praise God. Amen. Billy, will you go, will y'all go pray, let Billy and some of our prayer team pray with you? Man, thank you. Thank you for being bold. God, thank you for moving in their hearts. Will you just let us pray with you, bro? We, we're just going to just help you take next steps, man. They, we, they won't bite you, I promise, man. We just want to help you go. If you'll go over here and meet with Billy, Billy's a big guy by the brick, man. Thank you so much. What an awesome thing, dude. God. And I, expect, I believe that. I believe that's what God wants to do, amen, is take people from death to life, death to life and speak to their hearts. Help them to come to know him. But here's the thing I know. Many of you are the person who's carrying these drawers around. And this is the thing. We don't want to ignore that. We want you to come to a place today where your mind is changed. You realize, I need to trust Jesus with this. In fact, I would say there's probably the majority of people in here, there's something you need to trust Christ with today. And you need to come to a place of surrender. There's things I need to trust. Listen, it's a constant part of life. It's a constant renewing of the mind. And this is what I want to do right now, right here with God in our midst, I want to pray for you. Would you stand up and just say, today I'm surrendering it. And it's an act of faith. I'm just surrendering this to God. I can't carry it anymore. I realize the proper place is in the arms of Jesus. Would you stand and let us pray for you? Just stand up right now. We'll pray. We're going to pray and believe that God does incredible things in your heart, that your mind is open, that you have a change of mind, begin to have a change of heart. We're going to believe, listen, this is awesome because look, here's the thing I want you to do. I want you to look around and look at people. Don't stand up if it's not you. If it's you, stand up. Listen, there's no pressure, but I want you to look around. Here's the awesome thing about the church. We're all in this together, right? We're all in a place where daily, moment by moment, even second by second, we live our lives surrendered to Jesus. We constantly are putting drawers back in and Jesus is just constantly saying, come, just come to me, come to me. Let me, let me be your rest. Let me be your strength. Let me be, you're all in all. Let me be Lord of all. It's not a burden for you to carry. I want to pray and let's just believe that God does incredible things in our hearts and we're going to cling to him through Jesus. God, thank you so much for loving us, not because we were good, but because you were good. Thank you for the opportunity of repentance, that our minds are changed, that we see clearly who you are. And God, we can't resist you when we see you. God, you're so good and you call us sons and you call us daughters. 
Help us to hear that today. I pray that for every person who right now is walking under this weight of condemnation, that they would hear you speak into their hearts, that they are your son or that they are your daughters, and that they would realize that through Christ, they've been clothed with righteousness. They've been clothed with Christ. And that God, they would just be able to rejoice and celebrate life with you. And it would quit being about do's and don'ts and it would be all about pursuing you God because I know that's when our minds are transformed that our word that your word would come alive in us that as we interact with it it would interact with us and that God it would truly change our hearts that it would be living and active as it's empowered by your spirit God do a great work in these hearts do a great work in these lives God as we leave this place as we abide and we hold to you Lord thank you that you just tell us to come be a part of your life. In Jesus' name, amen.